Hello, and welcome to Remember the Film, the podcast where only two out of three of the hosts have actually seen most of the movies that we're going to talk about today, but that won't stop us from taking the Academy's place and predicting this year's Oscars. So that's what we're doing this week. We're going through not all of the categories, only like 10 of them, but we are giving our predictions for this year's We're not taking their place. We're just telling them how to do their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that we're smarter So that we will have credentials, uh, so that they can eventually invite us into the academy. Of course, because because this is really just an audition for us to to get enough clout to get into the academy. Correct. Like we that, deserve that's it. the reason why we're doing this. <laughs> Grizz, if you were to do a job in the industry that got you into the academy, what would that job be? You think? Mm, God, uh, writer. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Hugo, I see you. I see you as a set decorator for some reason. I, you're gonna, no, you're gonna I'm sets. utterly talentless. So Art director I could, skills. I, I could be a movie critic, I guess. That, that's the only thing I'd be <laughs> Which close they enough will to decidedly have any, not any... let you into the academy for yeah. being a movie critic. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> truthfully, if I could pick, I, I, I'd love to be an actor, but uh, hmm. I, uh, I, I don't. There's not a whole lot of really meaty roles for you know. I think fat guys, I think you, you know? can. You can no. You can take uh, <laughs> Paul Walter Hauser. You can take his job. There we any go. Job, yes. Any job, any any role he's in, you could do it. I think. Also, that guy, that guy's very talented. No shade at Paul Walter Hauser. Yeah, no, no, no shade. Yeah, no he's, shade. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm Hugo. Joining me this week as usual are who you already heard from, uh, Josh and Hello. Grizz. Hello. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, great. Absolutely. Ready to predict some Oscars. Let's do it. This is Let's this is it. like second Christmas for for Josh and I. We we love Oscar season. <laughs> or first Christmas. I mean, yeah, I guess more accurately, first Christmas. <laughs> first Christmas this year. Right. Okay, so again, what we're doing this week is predicting uh, 10 of the 23 categories uh, for the Oscars. We picked like the main ones, the ones where we even have like some knowledge of, enough knowledge of, of movies to even comment about, because I don't know how much you know about, uh, I don't know, makeup or stuff like that. So we'll just go for those. Um. Just to, before we get into the actual categories, I, I wanted to give some, just some little boilerplate stuff about this year's Oscars, because obviously it's a very unusual year for the Oscars. Um, the the Academy announced in June of last year, 2020, that uh, the ceremony was going to be postponed from the original date of the 28th of, ja- of February to April 25th, so uh, next week, next Sunday, right? Yeah. Correct. Um, and they also extended the eligibility uh, for the films, uh, not only to... F- uh, first, they extended the eligibility to films that didn't have a theatrical release. So even films that are just released uh, digitally through VOD or a streaming service are eligible this year. And they also extended um, the the eligibility period to January, to February 28th. So As opposed movies, to December 31st. Yes, opposed to December 31st. So this is, the uh, I think... It was only the first. It's only the first time in Oscar history that movies from two different calendar years will be competing uh, for the on the same categories. Yeah, couple couple things about that. Number one, uh, incredible foresight, honestly, by the Academy for in Absolutely. June of twenty. Well, in June of twenty twenty, to say let's do it on April twenty fifth. Mm-hmm. How could they have possibly known what the world was going to look like on April twenty fifth, twenty twenty one? And like, we're not out of the woods, COVID wise yet, but like, yeah. we're close to being out of the woods. So like. It's almost the point that, like, it could be, I mean, I don't want to encourage gatherings of any kind at this point, but, like, we are almost to the point where, like, a ceremony like this could feasibly take place when, like, even a month mm-hmm. ago, it could not have taken place, you know? And, like, yeah. so the fact that they called their shot, you know, nine months ago is pretty astounding. Well, you know, and I'm not sure if it was so much calling their shot as it was that 
they were anticipating that if they pushed it back that far, more uh, there there'd be more movies released that people That's were true. holding on to mm-hmm. uh, because they were everything was just kept getting delayed. So like, okay, well if we wait a little longer, these you know movie companies are going to start putting out the movies because they have to put out something. So- yeah. <laughs> And Hugo, to your point about two calendar, you know, movies with two calendar releases or two years of, of calendar releases, whatever. Um, this is the first time that something that premiered at Sundance was eligible for the Oscars like a month or so later, because normally Sundance is in January, and mm-hmm. so those movies that premiere at Sundance aren't eligible for the Oscars until like 14 months after they premiere at Sundance because of the calendar yep. year thing. But this year, for example, Judas and the Black Messiah premiered at Sundance in January, and now it's competing for Best Picture in April, and that's that's yep. crazy. And it's it it also makes a big difference because a lot of the time those movies that premiere at Sundance early in the year get kind of overlooked for Oscar they, season. It's, it's hard year. to have legs for for yeah. you know a year and a half. Oh yeah, yeah. So it, it makes for a very interesting ceremony this year. People may not realize this, but no movie that's ever premiered at Sundance has ever won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been nominated, but no movie's ever won by premiere at Sundance. So yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think Judas the Black Messiah will. Well, I don't think Judas the Black Messiah will this year. We'll get into the predictions, but. <laughs> Yeah, recency yeah. bias is a big thing yes. in the academy. <laughs> but that's that's you know kind of thrown a wrench into this year because of the yeah. release schedule so thrown off and the fall festivals are thrown off and Sundance are thrown off and all that stuff. So this is only the fourth time in academy history that it that they have been postponed, which is uh, another interesting topic. I wonder what the other reasons were, but possibly some war. I, I would think I yeah, maybe World War II or which, something. Which yeah, yeah, I don't know which which year they were actually this happened before but you know what i mean um the last thing that i want to talk about before we actually get into the predictions is that this year was a a record-breaking year for diversity at the oscars uh this is i'm just going to read a list of different uh firsts that this year's oscars week that we are going to be celebrated at this year's oscars and this is based on an article from the hollywood reporter that came out i think a few days after the nominations were announced, so if you want to go give them a read. Um, so we'll start with Riz Ahmed, because he, he will be uh, the protagonist of our film to remember for this for this week, which I will remind you is Sound of Metal. Um, Riz Ahmed is the first Muslim to ever be nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role. Um, some people did get nominations for uh, supporting roles, and uh, Mahashala Ali uh, famously won twice in that category. And when he... And also... In his acceptance Muslim, speech, in his acceptance speech for the first Oscar, he actually did men- specifically mention being yeah. a Muslim and and, exactly. and what that meant to him in winning the award. Mm-hmm. Very meaningful for sure. Um, Stephen Nguyen is the first Asian American actor to receive a Best Actor nomination. Um, him and Yon Yung Jun, if I mis- mispronounced, I apologize, uh, became the first Korean-born actors to receive nominations at all in acting wow. categories. Jeez, very interesting. Yeah. Um, Christina Oh became the first Asian-American woman to receive a nomination for Best Picture, and Lee Isaac Chung, only the second Asian-American to receive a nomination for Best Director. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah broke uh, several records, but uh, I think the most interesting one is that it, it broke the record for most Black contributors nominated for a single film, with a total of 10 people nominated uh, over across the six the categories, categories that the film was nominated for. So, uh, for example, the three producers of the film are all black. So that's that's three contributors. Um, for the first time in history, there is more than one woman uh, nominated at the same time in the Best Director category. Um, only five women before this year had 
ever been nominated at all. And Catherine Bigelow remains, uh, at least until next week, uh, the only woman that's ever won Best Director. At least until next week, um, yes. At least until next week. So spoilers for our predictions. <laughs> uh, Chloe Zhao uh, became the first non-white woman to receive a nomination for directing and also the first woman to receive four nominations in the same year because she's nominated not just as a director, but she's nominated for editing. Editing. She did her own editing. Uh, she wrote the adapted screenplay and she's also one of the producers of the film. So she's nominated for Best Picture. Uh, I remember back in twenty the 2014 movies... Mm. Selma was nominated for Best Picture, and Ava DuVernay did not get a Best Director nomination. And Bennett Miller was nominated for Best Director, even though his movie Foxcatcher was not nominated for Best Picture. So, yes, Chloe Zhao is the first non-white woman to receive a Best, best Director nomination, but maybe she shouldn't have been. Yeah, far <laughs> from the well, first yeah. one deserving of the yeah. opportunity. I, I, will say, I will say most of these, it, it's kind of sad that these are firsts in 2021, yeah, yeah. but it's still, yeah. I think, important It's worth to celebrating now. Out. Yes. Yeah. But it's I good wanna... to also look at it in the light of it's, you know, this has been a long time yeah. coming. <laughs> Hugo listing these is, is great, but it's not like we're like, we fixed it, guys. Oh, no. <laughs> we're oh, done. No. We, it, I think it's important to bring yeah. these up because they are important uh, things that we should celebrate. But it's at the same time, as I said, it's kind of sad that these firsts came out, came so late uh, in Oscar history. Um, last thing, um, in general, this was a record year for gender parity in the nominations with women receiving a record uh, total of 76 nominations. It's 70 women receiving 76 nominations, because, of course, some people had multiples, um, compared to the previous record of 65. So uh, although it's not that big of an improvement on the previous record, because the, the percentage of female nomination is still only uh, 32%, so it's not exactly equal, and the previous record was 31%. So it's just there are more nominees this year, so there were more... Uh, women nominated but overall the percentage is is pretty similar well, and, and as we've kind of referenced in previous episodes of our podcast here the the, the percentage is is going to be tough to get up you know to e- equality in the academy until they fix the percentages across the industry and yeah. so as more women are given more opportunities throughout the industry hopefully we'll start to yeah. see more you know equality in the uh, nominations yes and I know I'm, I'm preaching the choir with you two, and I get that. But if anybody listening to this thinks it's silly that we're listing these statistics here, I just want to point out to you that for the vast majority of the history that movies have existed, they've been directed by white men almost yep. entirely. And if you think that doesn't affect the kind of stories that get made to movies, you're crazy. So yep. it does matter. And wrong. So, and yes. yes, I also fully appreciate that we are three white men <laughs> yes. talking yes, we are. about this, I- but... Not us, though, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, to uh, to some extent, it, it's important that white guys like us uh, do celebrate this stuff and point it out. So, get that. Uh, I I applaud all these nominees, and they're all very deserving. Yeah, and, and that's that's there the, can the be best even part more about it this year. The best part about it this year is how deserving all of these nominees. Everyone are. is yes. <laughs> all fantastic picks and honestly okay. honestly last thing real quick is like oh, the, the, these movies do give like fresh perspectives on like yeah, certain absolutely. you know seeing seeing things from different angles that i've never thought of before like a lot of these movies have fresh perspectives that are really exciting to see and really yeah. really interesting to watch absolutely okay so let's jump into our main topic this week which is predicting the oscars uh, for this year 
As I said, I picked uh, 10 of the categories uh, and we will be predicting that I will be basing my predictions on just Oscar buzz because, uh, again, uh, most of these films, unfortunately, not available in my country uh, until after the Oscars. So uh, most of the, 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 the more accurate predictions, I suppose, will be from the two people who have actually seen most of the films. Well, but, so, so that's why I'm hosting so I can have a role on this podcast. As far as accurate <laughs> predictions go, following yeah. the buzz is how you make uh, yeah. accurate predictions that's true. whether or not yeah you know, but but as far as like informed opinion on whether yeah. those <laughs> predictions are the people who deserve to win that yeah. comes from actually having watched the, the movies <laughs> yes let, let the record show that my predictions are coming from you know I'm, I'm voting with my head not my heart like these are not mm-hmm. who i think should win and a yeah. lot of these I haven't, I haven't seen necessarily. Well, and we are going to talk a little them, bit about who we would like sure. to win. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm following. You know, I'm following what I what I think is going to happen, not what Agreed. I want yeah. to happen. Not yeah. what I, not For what sure. I want to happen. <laughs> For sure. Okay, so let's jump into the first category, which will be uh, the best adapted adapted screenplay category. Uh, the nominees are a Borat subsequent movie film, which as we said last week, is an adapted thing because the character is an original character from a previous product. So I guess it's adapted screenplay, although the process of writing this would have been essentially a new screenplay. And also a lot of it is improv anyway. Um, written by a whole bunch of people, but uh, namely Sasha Baron Cohen, Peter Bayman. The, there's there's like there's 11 writers, writers. writers on this. Yeah. So I, I will not be reading all of them, but based on the character created by Baron Cohen. Then we have The Father, written by Christopher Hampton, Florian Zeller, based on the play by Zeller. Nomadland, uh, written by Chloe Zhao and uh, Chloe Zhao, is that pronunciation? Chloe Zhao. Uh, based, based on the book by Jessica Bruder. Uh, One Night in Miami, Kemp Powers, uh, based on his play. And The White Tiger, Ramin Barani, based on the novel by Aravind Adiga. So, uh, any comments or snubs in this category? I think you guys? It, I'll just kind of say to kick off as far as snubs across the entire year of nominees, there's not going to be as many snubs to me this year as there are in most years because of how many movies were delayed or, you know, or just weren't released Mm -hmm. because they're saving them for a year in which people can actually go see movies. Uh, So, so I, yeah, there are still snubs. There all, there always are, but I, I actually feel this year, in in most categories, there are fewer snubs or fewer movies that I think you could call a snub uh, than in previous years. So as far as this category, I didn't really have anything that jumped out to me as an obvious snub. What do you think, Josh? Uh, well, I'm just looking at the WGA Award nominees, and uh, Ma Rainey and News of the World were both in the adapted category mm-hmm. at the WGA Awards. I guess you could call them snubs, but um, I don't know. I, I haven't seen The Father, so I can't comment on that. But I mean, these are five great movies, so... I don't know. Okay. I, I could have seen Ma Rainey here, I guess. But. Yeah, Ma Rainey jumped out at me because uh, it got a lot of, of, of very good reviews for, for the way it adapted the, the, the play specifically. So I, I was surprised to not see it. But I, again, I wouldn't necessarily consider it a snap. All, all movies that are highly regarded. So, yeah. So uh, I think what we're going to do with all of these categories is kind of go around and say what we wish would win. So, what's like our favorite for this category and what we think will win uh so let's start off with this one uh, i'm not gonna have an opinion on what i wish will win because i've only seen Bora out of these so i i think what will win will probably be nomadland uh the one that i would like to win is the father 
mm. uh, which I, I watched yesterday, so it's very fresh in my mind, recency bias. But uh, uh, and the one that I think will win is Nomadland, and I think that uh, we've seen that uh, from most of the buzz that that mo- most people are agreeing on that front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen The Father yet, but I, I imagine that might be my wish could win once I see it, just mm-hmm. based on the, the what I'm hearing. Uh, I do think Nomadland will win. Uh, I, I think I mentioned last week in the podcast the connection between Best Picture and the screenplay category. And spoiler alert, Nomadland is very heavily favored to win Best Picture, so yeah. that means it's probably also going to win a screenplay category. And, uh, I mean, I think the script is great. I think it's very... Uh, tenderly written, and I think that uh, its its character work and its structure is maybe a bit more subtle than other than your typical movie, but like it's still there. And uh, you know the, the light touch is I think pretty welcome. And uh, I think the script's great. And like of the of these four that I've seen, it's probably what I would prefer to prefer to win. But again, I haven't seen the father yet. Grizz. Well, and and with Nomadland, the reason I think it will win uh, in general is just because. The, the parts that are scripted are very good, but also the way the movie was shot, there are a lot of aspects of it that are not entirely scripted because they the people in the movie didn't necessarily know that uh, Francis McDormand was Francis McDormand. <laughs> so there's there's you know some aspects of the movie that are very raw and and real uh, that you know, kind of and they blend so seamlessly with the scripted stuff. So I, I really do think that it, in terms of the challenge, the challenging aspects of a screenplay, Nomadland does some pretty impressive stuff. Also, I want to mention that because we talked about this last week a bit, like the quote unquote adaptedness of an adapted screenplay. Mm-hmm. This, this Nomadland is based on a nonfiction book by Jessica Bruder. And so, you know, Chloe Zhao is, you know, basically shaping this story. It's more or less an original story that takes place in a nonfictional world and a non-fictional setting yeah. basically and as Chris said there are like some some pe- people non-actors playing non-professional actors rather playing lightly fictionalized versions of themselves so that you know there's that aspect but like this is closer to an original screenplay than I mean Borat's also close to an original screenplay as well but this is closer sure. to an original screenplay than the other three nominees I guess yeah and I think from the buzz Nomadland is probably going to clean up this year so um, we'll see but uh, I think it's very likely to win this category as well so, okay, next category is Best Original Screenplay. Um, the nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah, written by a uh, screenplay by Will Beerson and Shaka King. The story is by Beerson, King, Keith Lucas, and Kenny Lucas, who I suppose are brothers. Um, Minari, lit- written by Lee Isaac Chung, who also directed. Promising Young Woman, uh, written by Emerald Fennell. Sound of Metal, written by Abraham Mada and Darius Mada, brothers. Story by Derek Chung France uh, and... There is Martyr again. And, of course, The Trial of the Chicago 7, written by Aaron Sorkin. Um, again, I'll start us off because I'll have the least to say on, on the other films. But of, of the two I've seen, I've obviously seen Trial of the Chicago 7. We talked about it on the podcast. And Sound of Metal. I, I, obviously, Sorkin's writing is excellent. I thought the writing for Sound of Metal was was remarkable. I think that the fact that it has to blend the written word with sign language um, is not just a feat of, of, of filmmaking, but it's also in the writing. And the fact that they had to pre- they had to kind of work this story around the fact that he was going to be interacting with real life deaf people. And I don't know, I thought 
that aspect of it was was really remarkable and i thought the writing was fantastic across the board yeah i mean we'll get to prom we'll get to sound of metal but like i think that the character work in particular is yes. extremely good on on the page and this is a very very well written movie big fan and i very subtle as well yes definitely which is also something that i really appreciate uh two snubs for me um mm-hmm. no palm springs which was one of my favorite movies yes. of the year i think we've all talked about it before and, yes. I, and uh and i just want to say on the palm springs thing this it's this feels like the category where it it, it could have worked its way yeah in. it's kind of like the the wild card sure. you know that's a wild card kind of movie that could like appear into original screenplay and it did get nominated at the wga award the for WGA. original screenplay uh the other snub is uh mank no mank here so mm-hmm. J- jack fincher who you know passed away 20 years ago his you know his son got his movie mm-hmm. made and i was hoping to see him here just to I, would have been a cool story yeah it would have been yeah a great nomination and also i think it's really surprising that it's not here because it was nominated for everything else it, it, it was the Leeds, most nominated Leeds, film with yeah, 10 the, nominations so it, i thought i was really surprised to not see it on this uh th- those two snubs aside i mean i don't even know if i would like replace either of those two with any of these five just because these mm-hmm. are five really 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 good movies i love all five of these movies so no shade at these five this is good good batch nominees Fair, Grace, who fair. do you got? So, who do we so, think we will win? Uh, well, so as far as who I think, uh, well, I, I guess I should say who I who I thought should win. I would have said Trial of the Chicago Seven, but you guys know I'm a Aaron Sorkin fanboy, so that's that's where my heart is. I want I want that to win. But who will win? Promising Young Woman is my prediction for who will win. It, it won the WGA, uh, which is a good metric for this category. So did it win the BAFTA too. I think it won the BAFTA. Uh, it might have. I didn't write that I down. I think it did. I, but I know that it yeah. won the WGA. And and having just recently watched the movie, the script is really freaking good. I, so. I really, <laughs> really, really like this movie. And I also really enjoy how it's written. It's a very well-written movie, for sure. Uh, I think I agree with you. Woman, Promising One Woman is probably the one that I've most been looking forward to. It's still not available here, but uh, I think I would really like that movie based on my taste. Um. I, I think I agree with you, Grizz. I think that this this kind of is a two horse race right now between Promising Young Woman and Trial of Chicago Seven, and I think in recent weeks Promising Young Woman has kind of pulled away because of the WJ Award. I think I, I'm assuming it won the BAFTA as well, but um, Trial of Chicago Seven did. did, by the way. did okay, cool. Uh, Trial of Chicago Seven did win Best Screenplay at Golden Globes, but we all know that doesn't mean anything. So um, yeah, I, I won't be surprised if Trial of Chicago Seven comes in here, but I'm I'm going to go with uh, Promising Young Woman. It also would be the category where that film could get its win, as well. If they, if you know, I know it we might shouldn't come up think later. in these terms. It, it but... might come up again later. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, we, we shouldn't think in those terms. But I think voters do. Voters they think. Do. I, I really yeah. liked. I really like Promising Omen. I would like to reward it someplace. This could mm-hmm. be the place where they decide to reward it. Okay, so our prediction is Promising Young Woman in this category. So next up, we have Best Cinematography, which I thought I think is an interesting uh, one. The nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, Cinematography by Shen- Sean Bobbitt, uh, Mank, Eric Messerschmidt, uh, News of the World by Darius Wolski, Nomadland, Joshua James Richards, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven, Feden Papa Michael. Let me just say, I do not understand why the trial of the Chicago seven is in this category over like Tenet, for example. I think that was an interesting pick. So my snub would be Tenet or, and I'll 
talk about this movie again when it comes but comes up but i think also the five bloods has very good cinematography as well my my snub was also going to be tenet in this category yeah uh but i think as far as the reason why trial of chicago 7 over tenet is that overall trial of chicago 7 was a better received movie people were disappointed by tenet whereas more people were you know surprised Mm -hmm. by trial of chicago 7 and so maybe that's what pushed it over the edge in for a lot of people for sure i i can see that but again we talked about we talked about this last week but i i sometimes i wish like films that are excellent in specific things would get rewarded for those things even if the overall reception isn't as uh, positive because uh, i mean for me personally i i was quite disappointed by tenet I, but i thought the, the cinematography, cinematography was what, quite good what they were able to do completely in camera was uh, impressive I think that I mean these. I haven't seen News of the World. These are the four I've seen are very good nominees here. I would have liked mm-hmm. to have seen uh, Promising Young Woman here, uh, Benjamin Crackoon's mm-hmm. cinematography, because that is a extremely stylish movie, uh, very yeah. very stylish. And um, uh, yeah, I would I would like to see him here. But these are I mean these are four good nominees, and I'm sure News of the World is good too. Um, I think for my winner, uh, I, I'm I'm going to choose Joshua James Richards for Nomadland, and. But I wouldn't hate it if Eric Messerschmidt for Mank won, or Sean Bobbitt for Jews and Black Messiah. I think both those are both very uh, well-shot movies. But I think Nomadland, Joshua James Richards will win. We will get a little bit more clarity about this later tonight because the American Society of Cinematographers Awards are later tonight. And so, like, whoever get whoever they give the award to could probably be your new frontrunner. But I'm, I'm thinking it'll be Nomadland. Chris? I, the, the one that in my heart of hearts I feel should win is Nomadland. I, I think that it you know and this happens a lot in the cinematographer category. A lot of voters view it as most cinematic movie wins best cinematography, and mm-hmm. Nomadland is by far the most cinematic in my mind uh, in this category for the ones that are nominated. Granted, I haven't seen News of the World, but I have seen the other ones, and uh, Nomadland has you know sweeping landscapes and you know beautiful natural lighting and you know Terrence Malick esque, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I, it, Nomadland's built for this category in a lot of ways, uh, and so they are also who I think will win. <laughs> so again, another prediction for Nomadland. As we said, probably going to clean up. Um, shout out to Mank, though. I think the black and white cinematography in that film uh, will not get enough credit, but it's absolutely fantastic. Fincher's movies always look amazing. I think I said that they, last week too, yeah. but this one's no exception. It, look, it looks really good, and it might come up again mm. later. For sure. Okay. Next category, Best Supporting Actor. Uh, in this category, we have some controversy, I think. But let's get the nominees out. Nominees are Sasha Baron Cohen for Trial of Chicago 7 as Abby Hoffman, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah as Fred Hampton, who is also in Trial of Chicago 7, incidentally, uh, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami as Sam Cooke, Paul Racy for Sound of Metal as Joe, and Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah as... William Bill O'Neill. So, so we, have, we have both Judas and Black Messiah yeah, in the supporting uh, actor category. Yeah. So I guess I guess that movie doesn't have a lead actor. Um, <laughs> yeah. That that was very 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 strange when I saw those nominees. Well, I, I loved uh, Lakeith Stanfield the day the nominees were announced. He just tweeted, uh, "I don't know. I, I'm 
as confused as you guys are or something like that but he was also <laughs> just like happy to be there, obviously. yeah i love him i really love him he's he's an amazing guy he's he's the lead in the movie though we can all agree that lakeith stanfield yeah. is the lead in in the movie yes yes um, i haven't even seen it and i agree because i i know the premise well of he's it, so he, he's, he's the lead. i mean fred hampton's also like you could you could argue it's that they're close. co-leads i would say co-lead for in my mind well they were campaigned uh Warner Brothers campaigned them, Lakeith Stanfield in lead as the titular Judas, and then Daniel Kaluuya in supporting is where they campaigned him as the titular Black Messiah. But Grizz, to your point, <clears throat> excuse me, I could see them as co-leads, but I can also see Lakeith as lead and Kaluuya supporting. Yeah, Kaluuya I think supporting might give isn't the edge that bad. to Lakeith in terms of yes. overall leading the movie. <laughs> well, he, he's, the point is, is, he's the point exactly. of the character. It begins and ends with him, and like both have narrative power, but um, I think Lakeith mm-hmm. a little bit more. But they're definitely not both supporting. And how this happened, by the way, just real quick, is if you can't be nominated in two categories, the same performance. So if you get enough votes for nomination in two different categories, you just you're put in whichever category you receive more votes for. And so mm-hmm. somehow Lakeith Stanfield had more supporting votes than lead votes. I don't know how that happened, but he did. So that's why it's, they're both supporting. It's strange. Well, I'm glad you explained um, that because we're talking snubs right now, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So if I if I can start just because I really feel strongly about this one for me, it, this category has the biggest snub uh, for me of all of them, and it's Delroy Lindo for mm. Type Bloods. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, you could technically argue that he might be a lead, but I think that film has so many characters that it's difficult to nail down who a lead is. But regardless, his performance was my favorite performance of the year. Uh, even though that film had, you know, some structural problems, but his performance specifically was, for me, absolutely stunning. And I I think he really deserved it, and it, I think it's really sad that he didn't get a nomination for this. That movie's worth watching purely because of his performance, I think, absolutely. for sure. And if you haven't checked it out, please do so. So, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think Delroy Lindo was an obvious snub. Uh, mm. I also think that it would have been really cool to see Alan S. Kim from Minari uh, in here. Because uh, he, you know, little eight-year-old boy, you know, that would tie him for the youngest nominee ever, uh, and also a really good performance, like especially considering he's eight years old. Uh, so, but uh, those were the, the 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 actual snubs. But I would also say a snub would be uh, anyone that wasn't actually the lead in the movie they were in. Uh, that's a <laughs> snub because basically, from my standpoint. I thought Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield were both leads. I would say Traveler Chicago 7, Sasha Baron Cohen is one of the leads. He's not lead in that. I mean, He's not. In the sense that there's no lead, but like, you know, they're either all leads or, you know. Yeah, that's fair. Speaking of Traveler Chicago 7, I would have loved to see Mark Rylance in supporting actor. I mean, he, yeah. he just won this category like five years ago, but he's low-key really, really, really good in Chicago 7. He kind of drives the movie forward really well as the defense attorney. Yeah, but also, you know, so if I can, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to finish. I also wanted to say that Leslie Odom Jr., I could make an argument for being a lead because in One Night in Miami, it's about four guys. They're all the lead to me. <laughs> well, it's about it's about four guys, but if anybody's the lead, it's Malcolm X and Sam Cooke. Like sure. They're the, mm-hmm. they're the, the main, main yeah. guys of the four. And, so and, I agree and with you. He again ends up in supporting. So, you know, of all the nominees, the only person that stands out to me is actually a supporting role is yes. paul racy in sound of metal and Which he is great so good yes he yes. is fantastic yeah we weren't sure he was gonna get nominated here and i'm so freaking happy he was like yeah and uh, I mean, we'll talk about him later but yeah. my what, what a devastating great. performance yeah
if I can throw out just for a second a sneaky pick because this is something that would never get nominated because it's a it's a purely comedic performance. But J.K. Simmons in Palm Springs, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, adore him. Great. It's not yeah. the kind of not it's not the kind of performance that would get an Oscar nominations nation. But I think one of the great comedic performance of the year. So, what are our predictions then? Kaluuya's gonna win. Kaluuya, he's cleaned up every Kaluuya. every award. From the Golden Globes on, so he's going to win. Golden Globes, sure. Critics' Choice, SAG Award. I mean, he's he's been all over it. it Daniel Kaluuya is going to win. Uh, I think Paul Racy should win on the, the, the premise that he is the actual supporting actor in the category, <laughs> but Kaluuya is going to win. <laughs> like I said, I, like I said, I can see Kaluuya as the supporting. Like yep. that's, a, that's a defensible category placement. Sure. Yeah. And honestly, between Kluge and Racy, uh, if either one of those guys, in terms of like what I would prefer to win, either one of those guys is fine with me. I think they're both uh, they're both brilliant. And you know, yeah. I'm also really happy that Daniel Kluge is going to have an Oscar because he's one of my favorite. He's one of the most interesting actors working today for sure. He's been fantastic for several years at this point, and great in everything he does. Just if you haven't seen Widows, just look up the gymnasium scene from Widows and watch Dinakluya in that like two minute scene. He is unreal in that. It's so good. Mm. Okay, so our next category uh, will be Best Supporting Actress. Um, the nominees: uh, Maria Bakalova for Borat Sapkowski movie film as Tutar. I love this. I love this inclusion. It's so funny to me. I'm sorry. Uh, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy as Bonnie Mama Vance. Olivia Coleman uh, for The Father as Anne, Amanda Seyfried for Mank as Marion Davis, and Yun Yu Jung uh, for Minari as Sunja. So, uh, another interesting category. Is it I, Yu I think Jung the Yoon? Yoon J- it, it depends Jung on where Yoon in the world. It, yeah. It depends okay. where in the world you put the <laughs> last name first or the, or the second name first. It, you know, depending on where you are. Yep. Okay. So. <laughs> I, I read it out as it was written on the Wikipedia page for this year's Oscars. So if I was wrong, blame Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> so I tried that argument in college a few times. That did not hold water. <laughs> well, we're not getting graded on this, so it should be fine. Okay, so what do you guys think of this category then? I'm not sure there's a snub that jumps out of me. Like, I didn't think like of I'm, any snubs either. I'm looking at... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the other 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 uh, award shows. Nothing like, nothing really jumping out at me. Uh, oh, Dominic Fishbach for *Juice and the Black Messiah*. I think she's great in that. She could have been here, mm-hmm. I think. Um, uh, truth be told, I think that uh, Viola Davis and Ma Rainey is actually supporting and not lead. Um, agreed with that. She was put in the supporting category for *Fences* four years ago, and she's put in lead this year. And she has. Uh, Le- way less screen time in this than she did in Fences, where she was supporting, and now she's lead. So, um, yeah, it, I, I thought it was odd as well. Yeah, maybe she should so, have been here, but yeah, other than that, yeah, I th- this is a good group of nominees. Well, and I, th- also, and I think that's interesting because I think if she was in supporting, I think she would have run away with it. <laughs> yeah, Possibly. I mean, she she may well win Best Actress, even though she's kind of just a supporting character in Ma Rainey. Yeah. But um, so I think she probably would have probably would have taken it here if she was in this category. Do you think she's in? She? Do you think she's in uh, the lead lead category just because of the name of the movie? It's possible. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if her last name was Fences, the Fences, she would have been a lead actress. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so this category was among the most wide open major categories in recent years, up until about two or three weeks ago. Um, 
there was a point where all five of these women had a pretty decent shot, at least, or at least so people thought. And then um, Yunya Jung won, for Minari won the SAG Award and the BAFTA Award, so now she's the odds-on favorite by like a pretty good margin. I think if she doesn't win, it'll be a surprise. But also, this was a pretty wide-open category, so who really knows? I think... I think um, I mean, Glenn Close has been nominated like nine times and famously mm-hmm. lost Best Actress in Heartbreaker three years ago for The Wife. Um, she lost to Olivia Coleman, who also could win this, but I kind of doubt it. I'm not counting on Amina Seyfried. Uh, Maria Bakalova was a very beloved performance. She has won a couple. I think she might have won the Critics' Choice Award, possibly. But um, yeah, yeah, but so. yeah. So my my prediction is is Yunya Jung, but we'll see. So, in my research, uh, I found. Multiple articles referencing the speech that Yu Jung Yoon gave at the Sag at the Baptists at the Baptists at the Baptists it was at the Baptists yeah. and that that is what is cinching it for her in a lot of people's minds that she will win the uh, the Oscar. So you're, you're you're touching on something there, and that is that you know these precursor award shows not only are kind of getting the temperature of the room in terms of what people are thinking for these various awards, but also like giving people an opportunity to give speeches that are like auditions for Oscar speeches basically and like you may think that's not a big deal but it, it, it kind of it's it's a non-zero factor for sure yeah you know Brett Brad Pitt was you know doing a, a great circuit last year in his best supporting actor speeches and like every speech was different he had jokes he had to have a team of writers helping him out think they were it, fantastic no I, shade to Brad he Pitt for sure had yeah. somebody writing them though. yes but they, it, each speech was great and each speech was like an audition for his Oscar speech basically and like yeah. People are watching this award show saying, like, yeah, I'd like to see him give another speech. I'll vote for him in this category. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you might be honest on the Grizz there, and that may help her case. And coincidentally, that is also who I want to win. <laughs> Personally, I would love to see Amanda Seyfried win this. I think she's mm. she's great in Mank, and uh, the relationship between Marion Davies and the Mank character is the emotional spot of the movie. And um, I, I kind of... When she first appears on screen, I kind of had low expectations for the character, but she ends up being probably the most interesting person in the movie. So, uh, huge shout out to her, but um, I would love to see that happen, but I don't think it's going to. If I can just, just for the chaos, I would love for Maria Bakalova to win, because I think she would jump on screen in character with Sasha Baron Cohen, and they would just go insane at the Oscars, and that would be hilarious. So, just throwing that out there. She and also she was fantastic. In that Serious movie. shout out to Maria Bakalova. Yeah, I mean she yeah. came out of nowhere. I think she's a Bulgarian actress. I want to say, but like, yes, um, so. completely unknown. And she holds her own against the one of the great comedic geniuses of our time. And mm-hmm. she really does steal the movie. And it's it, it's a very demanding performance. A really big shout yeah. out to her too. Really demanding performance. The amount of stuff yes. she has to put up with and yes. stay in character while is staying insane. Character. Yeah. <laughs> including Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> Yeah. Including, really... oh my god. <laughs> oh, let's not even go there. Yes. That Moving on. Grim. <laughs> Moving on. Moving but on. As far as uh, Yu Jung Yoon, I, the reason I, I like her performance the best is because I think that uh, it's an incredibly endearing character and it, it also has some range because she has to go through uh, a you know, variety of emotions, but then also there's a, a point in the movie where something very drastic happens uh, to her and completely changes the role and uh, uh, it, it's brilliant. So I, she's she's the one I want to win, but I also think that she will win. Okay, so that's our prediction. Um, next category will be Best Actor in a Leading Role. So we have the nominees, uh, Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal as Ruben Stone, Chadwick Boseman, uh, who unfortunately passed away this year, for uh, Moraney's Black Bottom as Levy Green, 
Um, Anthony Hopkins for the father as Anthony. Interesting. Uh, Gary Oldman for Mank uh, as Mank, Herman J. Mankowitz. And Stephen Yun for Minari as Jacob Yee. Um, Chadwick Boseman is probably running away with this one, right? I mean, yeah. Odds on favorite yeah. is Chadwick mm-hmm. Boseman. <laughs> and I think deservedly so. I mean, he his performance was absolutely fantastic. Uh, if I was to personally pick a favorite, um, since I have seen the film, I, I thought Riz Ahmed in, in Sound of Metal was absolutely stunning. And the amount of, of work that he put into the performance to actually you know, immerse himself into that character and, and live that life. Like we'll talk about more about him later, but if I could pick one for my personal choice, I would probably go with Reese Ahmed. And I think it would be fantastic to see him on screen, uh, you know, delivering a speech after that performance. I think I agree. I think this, I think Riz Ahmed is in Sentimental is probably my favorite performance of the year um, or among them, or at least of, of these five, it's certainly my favorite of the five. Um, yeah. And I would, I would love to see that too. It's probably not going to happen though. Um, this is yeah. pr- almost certainly going to go Chad- Chadwick Boseman posthumously. However, um, there is a non-zero chance Anthony Hopkins sneaks in here. And I haven't seen The Father, but Grizz, you have. What do you think about that? I, when, when we were asking who should win, uh, I would have been happy with Riz Ahmed, Anthony Hopkins, or Steven Yeun. All of them, I would be A-OK with winning. Uh, but Anthony Hopkins, I think of those probably has the best chance because that role is is really complicated uh, the premise uh, do you guys know the premise of the father yes okay well i guess i should say it for the the audience uh he's an elderly man who is uh having some memory issues and is mm-hmm. but he's also a very self uh reliant you know uh person and doesn't want help from anyone and this movie deals with you know what he's going through in a profound way and the role you know having having to act out the 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 things that this character is going through is at least from the outside looking in would appear very challenging uh but then again we can say that about having to play a deaf musician we can say that (laughs) about About having uh, to play a korean immigrant about having to play a alcoholic screenwriter and yeah. the these, reason I think that it comes down to the reason I think it comes down to Chadwick Boseman, even beyond him it being posthumous and that being a thing in the Academy, uh, <laughs> I think Chadwick Boseman, in addition to having a challenging role on screen, you, people will also be taking into account the challenges he was going through as a person acting at that time, battling cancer and you know, and not letting any of that get in the way of him making a extremely memorable performance. And so I think mm-hmm. that's what gives him an edge in this category is because it's not just about the performance. It's also about the actor himself. But let's just say, because we haven't said it yet, it is an excellent performance. Fantastic. It's, uh, fantastic. it's yeah. very good. Just his, his energy and the way his energy shifts as he goes into like these, because he's a very upbeat character, but his energy does shift in these, these very uh, somber soliloquies at times. And like just the, the way he can change on a dime like that is really good. And also, like, you know, from upbeat and happy to angry also yeah. can change it's on a, a dime. It's a role and, with a lot of range, again. Yes. And, uh, and he's also kind of playing it up a little bit because it is a, you know, it's based on a play. So he's kind of playing to the back row a, a little bit. But, like, for a reason, his character is playing to the back row. Yeah. And, like, it's it's a really, really great performance. And, you know, even if he hadn't tragically passed away last year, I think he'd probably still be a, a, front, a runner. front runner. I think here. he still would have been a front runner. 
However, I think had he, I mean, that may be the the it factor between him and Anthony Hopkins, though, is the fact yeah. that he's you know long, no longer with us potentially. Also, shout out to Gary Oldman real quick. Like, I think Gary Oldman's yes. great in Mank. Like, no one seems to think, no one seems to agree with me, but I, I think his performance is amazing, and I, love I thought it. it was I thought he was great in Mank, and I thought like if you had told me last year that Gary Oldman was going to be nominated for Best Actor and he would be my least favorite performance. I would have said that's absolutely insane. That's not to say it's a bad performance by any means, because I do love it. But like, they're all really good. <laughs> the thing is, when so he won Best Actor for um, uh, uh, Darkest Hour, playing Winston Churchill a few yeah. years ago, and like, I was just kind of like tired of Gary yeah. Oldman at that point. Like, no offense to the guy, I love a lot of his movies, but like, I was just kind of kind of sick of him and his shtick for, to an extent. Mm-hmm. And then, so I was like prepared to not like him in this, and I absolutely loved him in this. So. Shout out to Gary Oldman. You're not going to win, but I liked your performance. No one else seemed to. <laughs> okay, so our prediction, Chadwick Boseman, but as we said, these are five very like deserving performances. Have, Josh, have, and I, have Josh and I differed on any of these yet? Have we? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I thought we might differ on original screenplay and cinematography, but we went the same we, way. Both we went those, the same so. way. <laughs> fair, actress, fair. though. Actress could be it. Let's that could see. be it. Yeah. So, next category, uh, Best Actress. Uh, the nominees, Viola Davis, who we already talked about, is probably not a lead in that film at all, uh, for Marini's Black Bottom as Ma Rainey, but there you go, she's in the title. Uh, Andra Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday as Billie Holiday. Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman as Martha Weiss. Weiss. Frances McDormand for Nomadland as Fern. And Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman as Cassandra or Cassie Thomas. Um... Another interesting category, because you have two films that aren't in many other categories getting a nomination here, which I thought was interesting. That's usually um, pretty typical, What you guys though. pick? What, sorry? It's usually pretty typical for mm. all of the Best Actor-nominated performances to be in movies that were also nominated for Best Picture, and it's more common for the Best Actress movies to not be nominated yes. for Best Picture, and that's probably indicative of the kind of movie that we are choosing to honor with a Best Picture nominee, and also kind of yep. maybe... I don't know. There's probably it, something to glean there about it, sexism in the industry, but yeah, that's just something suggest, that's usually the case. Yeah, it would suggest that the good, meaty leading roles exactly yes. generally tend yes. to go more to men than they yes. do to women. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes, there so, you go. Thank you. Yeah, there is that. But that being said, uh, what do we think of these nominees? So, uh, I think I, I haven't seen uh, *Piece of Woman* or *United States vs. Billie Holiday* yet, but the other three are outstanding. And um, I mentioned that the supporting actress category was two, three weeks ago among the most wide open races in recent years. Now this is among the most wide open races in recent years because all the precursor awards that we usually, you know, look to for hints on the temperature of the room. Carrie Mulligan won Best Actress at the Critics' Choice Awards. France McDormand won Best Actress at the BAFTA Awards. Loyola Davis won Best Actress at the SAG Awards. And Andre Day won Best Actress at the Golden Globes Awards, which don't matter, but still. Like, the fact that the four major precursors all went to different people in this category is yep. wild. So I don't really know what to do here. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a total toss-up for who, who will win. Uh, the one that I think should win, I would, I would have voted for Frances McDormand for reasons that I stated earlier about how difficult it is to deliver a performance where i mean she was living as the character for extended periods of time and you know uh there's something to be said for that uh as far as who i think will win i am going with carrie mulligan uh based on uh, based off the critics choice win 
uh, that is my reason for her pulling it out here in, in the Academy Awards. I think my, my prediction would probably be Carrie Mulligan as well, uh, for reasons that maybe shouldn't be the reasons, but that do play in that, for, for example, as we said before, this would be another of the categories where this film could get its big award. Um, also, Frances McDormand has already famously won an Oscar twice in her career. So I, I think and Carrie Mulligan has a pretty good shot. Yeah, also very recently, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Frances McDormand won three years ago for Three Billboards and Viola Davis mm-hmm. won also three years ago for Fences, Fences uh, yeah. you would think that would be notches against them. However, Frances McDormand just won the BAFTA and Viola Davis just won the SAG. So mm-hmm. my thought here is Frances McDormand is, you know, really does carry the movie. She's in every frame and that movie's going to win Best Picture properly. So that's that's a big notch in her, her, her column. Uh, I think Viola Davis, even though I think she's a supporting character, she is a very large presence in that movie, a very large presence in that movie. And uh, I think she's as good in this as she was in Fences, which won her an Oscar. Also, like, the SAG Awards, you know, bet against the SAG Awards at your own peril. Because the acting branch is the largest branch of the Academy. So, and the act, there's a lot of overlap between the Screen Actors Guild and the actors yeah. in the Academy. So, the Screen Actors Guild Awards usually predict the Oscars pretty well. However, in this category, uh, I think two of the last... Uh, 10 Best Actress winners were chosen by SAG, did not end up winning the Oscar, and one of those was Viola Davis for The Help Mm -hmm. in 2011. So it's possible they may have gotten it wrong again with her this year. Um, That said, even though I just said this could be where we differ, I think I'm also going to go with Carrie Mulligan. (laughs) (laughs) Just because that's that's where my heart is. Like, I want her to win because she was my favorite performance of of, those three, Frances McDormand, Viola Davis, and Carrie Mulligan. And... um, to your point, Hugo, I think that they could reward the movie here, particularly if Chicago 7 wins original screenplay. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, like, I think this is a... Uh, it's a more audacious performance than the other two. Uh, even yeah. more audacious than Ma Rainey, which is saying something. And um, it, it's a big ask. There's a lot that a lot going on in this movie, That a lot on Carrie Mulligan's shoulders. And um, I, I she's great. I haven't seen this film. Um, as I said, is the one that I'm most excited well you know excited interested in seeing uh, out of all these but uh, i think the way her performance is in some ways the film is very topical very meaningful at, in the current time and the fact that it it does hinge on sort of a a big performance uh, which also does fit the world that they seem to be creating in that in that film based on the trailers and based on the reviews i think is going to give her a lot of chances to win yeah also like promising promising young woman is a it's a revenge thriller it's a black yeah. comedy it's a romantic mm-hmm. comedy at times and it's a social drama and carrie mulligan has to play all of those and carry all those yeah. and she does i think she's great in it yeah and again she's who i'm hoping for and like because it's such a wide open category i'll just say she's my prediction too even though yes i don't know i, I feel really uh, not good betting against the sag award so viola davis or friends mcdormand could could sneak in here too it wouldn't even be sneaking in. It wouldn't even be point. sneaking. Yeah. The door yeah. is open. Just just walk yeah. through it. I think I would agree <laughs> that this is probably the most wide open category that we've spoken about so far. Um, okay. So next up, I thought we'd sneak in uh, the best animated feature category. Uh, 
big animation fans here. Just for Grizz. Grizz. So uh, we, I think it's fun to talk about. The nominees this year are Onward. Uh, Corey, uh, am I going to read the producers? From no, the just, just, just read the nominees. Let's just go for it, yeah. Onward, uh, Over the Moon, which I haven't seen. Shaun the Sheep, the movie Farmageddon, which I love being in here. Uh, Soul and Wolfwalkers. I would, based on critical reception, I would say that it's probably between Soul and Wolfwalkers. Uh, I haven't actually been able to see Wolfwalkers. I, I really do want to see it. Um, but I I would say pretty confidently the Soul is probably going to win. Am I wrong here? I think you're right on both accounts. It's between Soul and Wolfwalkers, but Soul is probably going to win. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, just, just for inter- in, you know interesting conversation, Onward, between Onward and Soul, I actually enjoy Onward better. Uh, we've talked about mm-hmm. that previously on the show. Uh, but I have no doubt in my mind that if you're choosing between the two Pixar movies here, you're going to choose soul as a voter. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think soul, I, I think soul will win and I'm not going to be disappointed if soul wins. I, I think it's, uh, you know, obviously Wolf Walkers, uh, has gotten a lot of buzz, but I honestly yeah. think it being going up against Pixar is going to be a, uh, a tough mountain to climb here, even with it being as an artist, as artistic a movie as it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think that, w- especially since there are going to be people voting who may not have actually watched all of these movies, <laughs> you, a lot of people will vote based on the Pixar name. Yeah, I, d- I don't want it to be over. You know, I don't want to overlook the fact that pick that Disney dropped Soul on Disney Plus on Christmas Day, so yeah, everyone freaking watched that movie. Yeah. So everyone's seen Soul. So that's going to be a, a notch in Soul's column to probably win this. Mm-hmm. I think. And not, not, I'm not going to be disappointed yeah. if Soul wins. You know? Great movie, man. Great, great <laughs> yeah, movie. For me, yeah. Big for me, like Soul was my favorite movie that I have seen so far from this pool of films. So I, I love that film. If it wins, I'll be happy. And since we're not going to be talking about it later, I also want to shout out that I think that uh, Soul is going to win best score as well. I so. think so too, yes. <laughs> yeah, agreed. And deservedly so. Score is Absolutely. fantastic. Uh, Atticus, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor. Trent, Trent Reznor. Yeah. Who are and, everywhere, uh, and, by the uh, way. Uh, John Baptiste, right? Yes, sorry. Yeah, of course. Uh, sorry, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor were dual nominated for Mank and Soul, and I forgot mm-hmm. that Soul also has John Baptiste, so sorry. Sorry, John Baptiste. <laughs> yes. Okay, our prediction, Soul. Best Director. Another interesting category for me. Um, the nominees, Thomas Vinterberg who we spoke about uh, when we did our Another Round episode. Uh, Very happy to see him here. David Fincher for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, uh, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennell, Promising Young Woman. Um, Chloe Zhao's winning this. Uh, I don't know if there's much of a debate to be had, but I'm I'm very happy to see Thomas Vinterberg here. Surprising that he got the... uh, I guess not that surprising, but he did get... Because he's also nominated for Best Best International Feature, but... uh, you know, an interesting pick. I'm glad they gave him some recognition. I do have a snub in this category. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have liked to see Regina King in here for One mm-hmm. Night in Miami. Uh, but uh, that's not to say that there's anything wrong with the movies that, you know, are nominated for Best Directing here. <laughs> uh, I agree. It's Chloe Zhao. Uh, I, I believe that she's won in you know multiple other award shows already. I'm sure Josh can lift, list those off for us, uh, but uh, it, it, all the signs point to her. And uh, I also think that in terms of just looking at the movies, I think that uh, in terms of making the movie, No Man Land uh, was 
a more complicated film to make. A lot of uh, different locations to, to deal with. Yeah, I, I, all around, just I think it's probably a more challenging directorial job. Uh, you're right that you did win the DGA Award, which is a very, very strong indicator of, of Oscar uh, futures. And uh, she also won the BAFTA Award. So, yeah, I mean, Chloe Zhao's cleaned up. She won at the Golden Globes as well, which doesn't matter, but worth noting. So Chloe Zhao's cleaned up every award uh, leading up to the Oscars. She's a uh, high odds-on favorite for the Oscar itself. In terms of snubs, I would like to see Shaka King in here for Juice and Black Messiah. Yep. I think that movie is really, too. really good and a really well-directed movie. He's got... Um, you know, there's a lot of shootouts in that movie to, that he's got to stage. Um, the opening scene of that movie is so well staged, uh, where uh, Leaky Stanfield's character steals a car using a badge. Uh, just excellent, excellent Dressed stuff. Dressed as Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> yes. Just, I, I, I really like, we haven't been talking about it much, but I really, really enjoy Juice and Black Messiah, and I think Shaka King's directing is, is excellent, and I'm really excited to see what he does next, and I would have liked to see him here. But, yeah, um, I'm glad Emerald Fennell is here, because I love Promising Young Woman as well. I'm glad David Fincher's here, and I think if Chloe Zhao somehow doesn't win, I would think David Fincher would win, but that's not going to happen. Chloe Zhao's going to win this. And deservedly so. Numberland's a great movie. Yeah. So I think we all agree on that one. Uh, we've been we've been pretty really spot on with our predictions, by the way. And uh, Chloe Zhao, shout out to The Eternals, due out in November. Her next movie yes. is a $200 million Marvel movie after making this $5 million Best Picture winner, likely. So. <laughs> Which, by the way, she, she did some, she not to take us off topic, but she did some interviews where apparently they've been doing a lot of, like, the film will have less CGI than most Marvel movies, is what she said. Which is interesting. I thought that was good. We'll see. See our Denis Villeneuve episode for my comments about our prestige to blockbuster yeah. pipeline. We're putting all of our most talented directors into at the moment and see Chloe yeah. Zhao for an example of that. <laughs> it is what it is. But hopefully after that, she gets to make a lot of her own original things. Hope so. The success yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, okay. We did it. We're at the big one. Uh, best picture. Congratulations, Nomadland. Well, yeah, it's going to be Nomadland. Let's talk about the nominees. <laughs> it's for sure going to be Nomadland. But the nominees, The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, uh, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, once again, I would like to shout out The Five Bloods, a film that I think uh, could have deserved a spot on this list. Uh, again, I, I will never, never really understand the point of having up to 10 nominees but not nominating 10. I understand there are some weird voting procedures and reasons why if a movie doesn't have enough points or whatever, it doesn't get on the list. But um, if you have 10 spots, I don't see why you shouldn't shout out 10. Um, but that being said, Nomadland is winning this. It won everywhere else. It, you know, not much to say for me. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious Nomadland was going to win. Uh, they, they've, they won the gamut leading up to it, so... <laughs> Yep. Yeah, this is this is the most heavily favored best picture uh front runner in probably close to a decade. Like I was thinking back in like twenty twelve it was gonna be either Argo or Zero Dark Thirty, twenty thirteen it was gonna be Twelve Years of Slave or Gravity, twenty fourteen it was gonna be Birdman or Boyhood, twenty fifteen is gonna be Spotlight or The Revenant, twenty sixteen is gonna be La La Land or Moonlight, twenty seventeen is gonna be Shape of Water or Three Billboards, twenty eighteen is gonna be Green Book or Roma, twenty nineteen is gonna be Parasite or nineteen seventeen, and this yep. year there's no number two. It's going to be Nomadland. <laughs> no no so, clear number two, no. Yes. Uh, but uh, as far as snubs, uh, like Hugo said, I, I agree. It, it does not make sense to me to allow up to 10 nominees and not nominate 10 movies because, you know, why wouldn't you? It doesn't It doesn't hurt anything to nominate <laughs> more great movies. So snubs, uh, Soul, because I think 
in, in my mind, one of the best picture nominees should always be one of the best animated features. I mean, it, 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 it's like, you know, it, 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 again, it, it's the constant implication that animated feature is less than, uh, in the eyes of the Academy. Uh, and I, I, I have, I, I have a problem with that. Uh, so I would, I would say it would have been cool to put soul in there. Uh, I think one night in Miami, Ma Rainey's black bottom, both would have been equally. People were thinking both of those would be in this category. Like everyone was predicting both of them would be here. And, and they're not. So, <laughs> But but why, Josh? But why? <laughs> I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean, Ma Rainey, I think, got the most nominations without a Best Picture nom this year, I'm pretty sure. And, like, mm-hmm. I think typically when a movie gets four or five nominations like it did, it will get a Best Picture nomination, as we talked about last week. Um, I think The Father was kind of a surprise, and Sound of Metal was kind of a surprise getting in here. And I think that people had... Uh, I think people expected Ma Rainey and One Night in Miami even before those two, and also even before Jesus and Black Messiah. But... Personally, I like Sound of Metal and Juice and Black Messiah more than I liked both One Night in Miami and Ma Rainey, so I'm not and complaining about it. I liked The Father better than everything. It's so good. It's so I'm never going to watch it again because it's so devastating. But uh... <laughs> In case it needs to be said, eight fantastic movies. I haven't seen The Father yet, but the seven I've seen are just eight really, really, really good movies. And my least favorite of these nominees would be like my third or fourth favorite in any other year of a past decade, <laughs> right. I bet. Honestly. Okay. So, yeah, no uh, so I think we did it. Uh, we we gave all of our predictions. We'll see how many we get right. I'm 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 thinking we were pretty pretty on point with our predictions, but we'll see. Um, do you guys have any any final thoughts on the? I just Oscars? wanted to say, be sure to follow us on Twitter uh, at RTF Pod, and then also Good Game Reason, Brosh Jadley, and Hugo Panay, because yeah. at, at least Josh and I are going to tweet out all of our predictions. Uh, so that you you can uh, laugh at us when we are inevitably wrong. <laughs> anything uh, anything from the uh, under the line ca- below the line categories you want to shout out, Chris? I wanted to shout out uh, animated short. We've talked about it before. If anything happens, I love you. Uh, was one of my favorite things to come out of 2020. See uh, our best of 2020 episode. Yeah, you mentioned it's so it there. good, there. and yep. I've been I've been campaigning for it with my among friends uh, since I first saw it. And I was so happy to see it nominated, and I also think it has a really good shot of winning in that category. Yeah, I'm looking at the list, and like in in our categories, we just predicted we we gave Nomadland something, we gave um, Promising Young Woman something, we gave uh, Minari something, and Judas and Black Messiah. Uh, I just want to say that I have Chicago Seven elsewhere in editing. I have Mank in production design. I have Ma Rainey in makeup and costumes. I have One Night in Miami in song. So like. Mm-hmm. The big movies from this year, I think they're going to spread the love around a lot. I think Nomadland will probably get the most awards, I imagine, because we, we have it, what, picture director, screenplay, cinematography, yeah. mm-hmm. maybe actress, mm-hmm. maybe editing, maybe. But, I mean, yeah, probably four between four and six awards for Nomadland is my yeah. prediction. Um, I think it's it's possible that uh, Chloe Zhao wins four awards. Yeah. Or the four nominees which, for nominations would she be she the Would she be the first person, second person to win four awards in one night? I'm I'm not sure, but she's certainly the first woman to ever have four, but I'm, yeah. I'm not really sure. Well, because Roma, Roma two years ago, Roma two years ago, uh, Alfonso Crone was personally up for uh, picture, director, screenplay, cinematography, because he shot that yeah. movie himself. And like, I think they were like talking about the possibility he would win four and be As maybe the first, first or second one. person. But because that lost Best Picture to Green Book, tragically, yeah. uh, he did not win four, but he Very won three. Very tragically. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, just the wild. Great tragedy. Just shout out wild the Green Book winning. Yes. 
of what we haven't talked about, and this is a good segue into our film to remember this week, I would like to shout out uh, the best sound category where I hope Sound of Metal wins because it yes. would be absolutely deserving of it. Great, great segue. Let's take us into Sound of Metal. Well, I did, just on that note, I wanted to say that uh, when I thought we were going to be talking about all of them, when I, I I wrote who should win Sound of Metal, who will win Sound of Metal, comma duh, because it just seems so <laughs> obvious to me that Sound of Metal should win Best Sound. <laughs> I I hope so. Yeah, for sure. Okay, okay yeah, so let's, let's go into jump the film into to remember. Our film to remember this week is Sound of Metal, which is uh, uh, the reason why we picked it is, to be honest, is because it was the only Best Picture nominee that we haven't already talked about and that was available in Italy. But um, we were quite lucky in picking it because I thought this film was absolutely fantastic. Um, Spoilers. Just some boilerplate stuff about the film. Um, The film actually premiered in September September of 2019 at TIFF. but of course, with the pandemic and everything that happened last year, uh, it was delayed several times and it actually released at the end of 2020. Um, it was released in theatres where theatres were open on uh, on the 20th of November. And then it was re- made available on Prime Video uh, on the 4th of December, because uh, I think uh, Amazon is is producing this film, right? Yes. Um, uh, it was co-written and directed by Dar- Darius Marder. And it's his featured debut, which I thought was remarkable. Uh, he previously worked with, yeah, he he previously worked with uh, Derek Chanfrance, uh, who also co-wrote this film on his movies uh, uh, Blue Valentine and The Place Beyond the Pines. So of course he he had worked on very good movies before. You can see that uh, the character design of, yes. of Ruben in this is similar to Ryan Gosling's character mm-hmm. in Place Beyond the, the Pines. Valentine. I didn't notice that. Yes. Until oh, recently. Oh, yeah. okay. And also the absolute depression that this movie caused me is very similar to what the depression that Blue Valentine caused me. Was good. So yeah, for sure. Do that what you will. Um, <laughs> the uh, interesting about the film, the director wanted whoever was cast as Ruben to actually play the drums and actually learn sign language on camera because he wanted to have some scenes where the actor was improvising uh, kind of comedic beats with pe- with actual deaf people. So speaking sign language with them. Um so Riz Ahmed had to train for several months for this role. He, he apparently trained for eight months in both drumming and American Sign Language, uh, and which I think is, is, you know, a credit to his commitment to this role. Um, the film was released with open captions. Uh, if you don't know what open captions are, uh, the difference between open captions and closed caption is that um, open captions are burned into the film. So there isn't a version of this film that doesn't have subtitles and captions. This was uh, released even in theatres. This already had subtitles on. And the idea was uh, the deaf community and hearing people could could experience this film together and have the full experience of this. Um, uh, this, of course, wasn't something that they were able to really achieve because the theatre experience for this film was essentially lost uh, given the pandemic. But I thought it was an interesting wrinkle in, in what they were aiming for with this film. Um the film was about uh, Ruben, who is a heavy metal drummer who, uh, at the beginning of the film, we, we see him play with his girlfriend. He lives in an RV and they are going on this tour and they uh, are starting to garner some some success. Um, but tragically, he starts losing his hearing. And so it's essentially his story having to deal as a drummer uh, with losing his hearing. And he eventually ends up in this uh, death uh, addict community and it's his story yeah because we also learned that he's an addict <laughs> yeah i would argue 
I would argue the movie is not really about him learning to be learning dealing with deafness as a drummer. It's more him dealing with deafness as an addict. As it's an more addict, the, yeah, it's sure. more the but thrust of the story. Absolutely, yeah. It's just the 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 premise of him being yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a heavy metal. Uh, that's the that's the elevator music. Pitch. That's music the elevator pitch. A, yeah, for sure. I think music is a big part of his life, which we can see at the beginning where he he listens to a lot of different genres. He plays in a metal band. It, it, it's kind of a big thrust for like for the person that he is. And in that sense, I think it's quite interesting that they choose a, a musician to lose his hearing. It's quite tragic. I think um, they, they, they choose a musician to lose their hearing because it's the sort of thing that anyone who is hearing what the movie is about is going to immediately be like, oh, yeah, oh, I can see how yeah. that's going to be a challenge. And then you come in and you're surprised by yeah, some of the other true. challenges. Yeah. <laughs> well, so... As a reminder, I chose this as one of my favorite movies of the year in our Best of 2020 episode, and I'll repeat myself what I said then, is that they do an incredible job of building stakes in this. Because like you guys just said, the elevator pitch of this movie is a heavy metal drummer loses his hearing, and the audience immediately goes, oh no, that's terrible, because he's a drummer, he needs his hearing. But it's not just that he's a drummer and he loses his hearing, it's that, you know, as as Hugo just said, he lives in an RV with his girlfriend and bandmate, and like, she's his whole world. And their band together is his whole world. And we learn that he's an addict, and we learn that there's probably some codependency going on between. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll, we'll get to this in a minute, but we do learn, and they don't, they don't, you know, spoon feed you this, but it's uh, not a, it's a kind of a subtle thing that he says he's been clean for four years, and he's been with Lou, his girlfriend, for four years, and that's the that's the most that's as, as explicit as they get about it. But that does give you a sense that like his relationship to her and his sobriety are tied. Yes, and yeah. his band with her and his relationship with her are tied. So him not being able to hear and not being able to play in a band with her anymore threatens his relationship with her and therefore threatens his sobriety and therefore threatens his entire life. So they are stacking the deck against him and making him losing his hearing just his entire life is in jeopardy now. It's mm-hmm. really, really, really good writing and good character work. And also there's there's some vice versa in their relationship as well because uh, even her, we subtly, there's there are subtle hints that she... She had been going through, you know, some episodes of, of very, I don't know, strong depression. There's self-harm involved. Um, and, and when he has to go to the community, his main concern seems to be, but how is she going to be able to go on without me? Because I'm yeah. her rock as much That's as exactly she is right. my rock. Yeah, so okay, just plot-wise, like, once once he loses hearing and tells Lou, his girlfriend, that he's lost his hearing, she immediately calls his sponsor. And that's when we learn that he's in recovery. An addict. Right. And so his sponsor finds him a facility specifically for uh, deaf addicts. So they Mm -hmm. drive through the night and go there. And um, they meet Joe, played by Paul Racy, who is a – he lost his hearing in Vietnam and he's an alcoholic. So he kind of runs this program for deaf addicts, runs this this home, basically this community. And um, he tells Ruben that he can stay, but, like, he's got to take his phone, he's got to take his car keys, and Lou can't stay. And as soon as he says Lou can't stay, then Ruben's like, all right, we're done here. Thanks thanks yep. for your time, but this isn't for me. I got to go. And that, again, they don't like – they're not completely explicit about that. But if you're paying attention, like it's always Lou is the number one priority in Ruben's mind, uh, yep. maybe even to his own detriment. And yes. um, we, I, I agree with you, Hugo, that like there is a lot of subtle stuff about her and like the codependency thing between the two of them, not just for Ruben but for Lou as well. But that's more in the last half hour, so maybe we can save that for the spoiler section. Yeah. For sure. So, just overall, what did you guys think of the film? Uh, I think we we were all pretty positive. Uh, I, I imagine. Yeah, I, yeah. I love the movie. Uh, I 
I had held off on seeing it because obviously it was available in the United States, you know, for quite a while before I, I had watched it. But I was holding off because I am not a huge fan of the metal music genre. And I mm-hmm. thought that this movie was going to be more about that. And mm-hmm. it uh, so if, if that's something that you were that like if you were like me and that was something that was preventing you from seeing this movie, you know, you've made a mistake because it's, it's yeah. not about that. It's, it's, you know, it's so much more than that. And it really is uh, a great story. It's a really powerful love story and, uh, and, and not just a love story between a couple, but you know, love for yourself as well, that uh, becomes sort of a central element to the movie. And I found myself relating to this character in ways I, that was unexpected to me because uh, on paper, we don't have that much in common. But uh, this movie does a, a good job of, of showing you how, how, how easy it is to relate to what, the, what he's going through. Uh, I completely agree. Uh, as I said, this was uh, – I mentioned this and we talked about this in my favorite movies of 2020 episode. Um, and I even told you back in December, Grizz, that there's not much heavy metal music in this. Yeah. And you still took a while to watch it. But I mean I, watch, I, I watched it a few like – like a month and a half ago. We, at this we, point, got a, but... we have a lot of movies to watch this podcast. So I, don't, I don't begrudge <laughs> you putting this on the back burner until we have to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I, I – Loved this movie as soon as I saw it. When I saw it, it was immediately among my top five favorites of the year, if not top three. Um, uh, I, I mean, I just watched it again this week for the first time since it came out, and like it shot up to near the top of my favorites among these Best Picture nominees. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite, but I, I really do adore this movie. And Hugo, we both kind of have the same note on the outline. Um, to your point, Grizz, about relating to this character, I think the filmmaking really does help you relate to the character. Um, you know, Hugo, you mentioned the sound earlier. How like the sound design is incredible in terms of like we're we hear basically what Ruben hears. You know, he's backstage before a show, he's hearing the conversation, and suddenly it just is a high pitched whine. You can't hear anything else. Yep. So like we are in his head for an awful lot of the movie, not all of it, but an awful lot, and that helps us put us that helps put the audience in his shoes. But on top of that, um, I watched this with closed captions on on Amazon. And I didn't notice the first time I watched it, but I noticed the second time. Um, for the first half of the movie, when Ruben is still learning sign language, the ASL in the movie is not captioned. In the second half of the movie, after Ruben has learned sign language, the ASL is then captioned, which I thought yeah. was a really interesting choice because, again, we are with Ruben. What he understands, we understand. That helps us put us in his shoes. And then the third thing is that so much of this movie just plays out on Riz Ahmed's face. Like... There are, uh, when he is reacting to things, instead of cutting back and forth between two characters, it is just all on Riz Ahmed and his eyes and, um, and his, his reaction. And I think that um, speaks a lot to the power of his performance and, um, uh, you know, helping us relate to him is, is just letting it all play out on his face. Well, and I just wanted to go back to your, your comments on the sound design for this movie. Uh, and this happens at the very beginning of the movie. And I just think it, it, it's so incredible how they... Uh, very subtly make you notice sounds. Uh, like mm-hmm. when he's in the RV in the morning, he wakes up. Yeah. And they do yeah, close absolutely. up shots on like the coffee mm-hmm. pot and, and, the, and the record. And, and the and smoothie all these little, maker. Yeah. Make a smoothie. Yeah. The blender. All the little sounds that uh, are part of his daily routine. And then when he loses his hearing, and again, this isn't spoilery because this is at the very beginning of the movie, but he loses his hearing. You see those same things again because they're part of his daily routine only now with the sound being muffled or gone altogether. And, you know, uh, when, you, when you're first hearing the sounds, like obviously you know that he's going to lose his hearing because that's the premise of the movie. But 
somehow I still didn't realize when they were giving me that close-up shot on the coffee, when they're giving doing the close-up shot on the smoothie machine, that it wasn't registering to me. We're setting up all the things that you're going to miss here in a few minutes, and it's really powerful. It's a really yes, well-put-together uh, movie. And for me, the the beginning of the film is excellent. I, I think the tension building to the moment where he loses his hearing is fantastic. I think it, it, in a similar way as... 127 hours which is a movie that we talked about last week uh, you you know the premise of the film so you're expecting this event to happen and i think the film does a really great job at, at exactly as you said grizz making you know what you're going to miss and i think there's also a phase uh, like right before he completely loses his hearing where the sounds do start getting a little more muffled and you're like questioning whether you're imagining it because you know what the premise is or whether it's actually happening with the sound design uh, you know it's really really immersive and as josh said you are for almost every frame of this movie right with riz ahmed whose performance i think is my favorite of the year was absolutely stunning um as you said the way he reacts to stuff is is incredible because it's not this giant powerful uh, screaming performance it's it's very subtle it's a lot of eyes a lot of eyes he, mm-hmm. he has great eyes by he the does. way it, Big like, puppy the dog acting eyes, yeah. that he does yes. with just a face expression and and not even a strong one just the subtle movement of the eyes the way he looks at things is there's is there's absolutely a sp- incredible there's a specific reaction i'm thinking of in the back half of the movie that i'll wait for the spoiler section but it just it mm. just holds on him for like 10 yeah. 15 full seconds and I'll, we'll get to that later but yeah yeah but the scene you know at the beginning of the film when he's, you know, the, the first time that he's having dinner with the other people in the community and we see everyone signing to each other and he's just sitting there and he's as as confused as we are because we don't know what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on because they're just speaking in sign language. And at the same time, you can feel all of his pain in that scene. I really want to know how deaf people felt about those scenes compared to how we felt about those scenes. Because obviously, like, mm. we're as confused as Riz Ahmed is sitting around that table. Like, you know, I don't know. What, I don't. He hasn't learned anything yet, so he doesn't know what's being said. He doesn't know what's being talked about. But I wonder if, like, you know, for, for the deaf community, is that something that, like, that scene, you know, is it almost humorous to them? That, you know, like, like you know, or I, I don't know. I think it might I, be. I think it might be. Because um, uh, I've, I've heard a few interviews of Riz Ahmed talking about the film and the way he immersed himself in in what they call the the, the deaf culture, and it, it because there's this this feeling within the community that of course deafness isn't really disability. You learn a different language and you live your life uh, like everyone else, just a slight bit different. So uh, and apparently the deaf community has has a, a good sense of humor as well about how the movie has certain some of these scenes and apparently because. The people in those scenes, aside from Riz Ahmed and Paul Racy, are all, they're not professional actors. They are actual deaf people who are just signing away. And so it does create a scene that is at the same time tragic because you are living it through him. But to a deaf person, there might be some comedy there because they are actually, maybe they understand what's being said. It's also a fish out of water scene for Riz Ahmed because like... That that scene, I, I love that scene because it's so joyous. It's like these mm-hmm. these people sit around a dinner table, like a dozen people around yeah. a table, having very very lively conversations with each other, and like you know yeah. signing and banging on the table and getting each other's attention, and like they're, they're laughing, they're having a good time, and Riz Ahmed is just sitting there, unable to understand any of it. So again, it's a it's a fish out of water thing for him. I imagine yeah. if you can, I mean, I think it is kind of played for a comedic beat to an extent, just yeah. because like the contrast between the joyousness around the table and then just the utter confusion and 
you know, kind of dourness of Riz Ahmed. But um, yeah, I, I love that scene just to, just for the the feeling that everyone you know everyone's just so happy and thrilled to be there. A fantastic contrast because it it shows you how you can be deaf and not see it as a disability or even a negative in your life, and you can just be happy about it and enjoy it and not have a real problem with it. While we see him, you know, of course, being seeing him as a tragic yeah, character because it, it being, would be being sad tragedy it, yeah. to, for anybody. You know, if you lose your hearing at you know thirty years old, it, adapting to that life can be tragic. Obviously, this will come up in the spoiler section, but I want to mention that this movie does say Joe does say that most people in this community do not see deafness as like as you said they don't see it as a disability and they don't see it as something that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that later, I think. Or yeah. you, should we go to spoilers now? Let's go to spoilers. Anything, we'll uh, spoilers? I think yeah. Just the last thing I wanted to just point out before we talk about the actual plot it's just the movie structurally for me the only negative thing that i have to say about it is it it felt just a tiny teeny bit too long um i felt like it it really lingered at the end on on in the section where we i won't spoil but we're in this very very depressing sad thing that happens at the end and i felt like it, it it could have been just a tiny bit leaner but let me non-spoilerly disagree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah, I agree okay. with Josh. I, I, didn't, okay. I, I felt it was excellently paced all the way through. <laughs> and even though it is very tragic and it can be tough to sit through it, yeah. very, very sad moments, that adds to the power to me uh, of, of this movie. In terms of pacing, uh, this is a two-hour movie. And so I, you guys know I'm a huge fan of act breaks. Uh, first act break, right at like the 28-minute mark, which is perfect for a two-hour movie. Uh, there's a midpoint right around the hour mark that's really good for a two-hour movie, and then the break into three is right around like the 90-minute mark. So it's like I think it's actually really brilliantly structured in terms of like mm. timing-wise. But you know, let's 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 talk about spoilers. Okay, spoilers. So what happens in this story, Josh? Uh, well, so as we said, um, Riz Ahmed's a drummer, loses his hearing. He's an addict, so he has to go to this facility, uh, this community for deaf addicts. And uh, Lou cannot stay, so Lou has to go off. Um, she actually goes back to Paris, where she's from, we learn. Um, around the midpoint, the movie kind of jumps forward in time. And at this point, Riz, uh, Ruben has learned sign language, and he's actually thriving in the community. And because of that, he's, he's, he's learning fast. He's, he's popular. People like him. And so Joe offers him a, uh, a permanent job, you know, living in the community and working in some capacity there. And the idea of having... The idea of living there permanently instead of temporarily kind of freaks out Ruben, and so he immediately starts making moves to leave the facility and find his way back to Lou. Because as we said earlier, Lou is his number one priority for everything. So he he sells his RV, the RV that he and Lou were living in, and then takes that money to go get cochlear implants uh, mm-hmm. against the advice and wishes of Joe. And um, so because he does that, Joe asks him politely to leave the facility because as we said the people in this community do not see deafness as something that needs to be fixed and so they might take your surgery as a betrayal so thank you for your time but please please leave now and so what a sad scene yeah they don't want to be reminded of the fact that it can be seen as something that needs to be the fixed. fact that some people see it that way yeah, yeah. he doesn't want pe- he doesn't want the people in the community to deal with that so he asks ruben to leave and as you said grizz that is a devastating scene and paul racy is so freaking good in it and and uh Rizamet is so freaking good in it and it's oh man i, I just want to watch that scene over and over again but i don't because it bums me out so uh <laughs> and that's basically uh pretty much your end of act two 
And so Riz Ahmed goes, I'm sorry, Ruben goes to um, ha- get his cochlear implants uh, activated because there's there's a time delay between getting them put in, getting them activated. And um, that's the scene that I want to talk about where it all plays out on his face is when he gets yeah. his cochlear implants turned on, it's not really what he thought it would be. It, his hearing isn't like back. He can kind of hear stuff. But it's like very muffled and very distorted. And it just, it doesn't sound right. And like when this hits him that like this is what he's chosen and this is what he's, you know, he gave up his life with that community and Joe and ruined all that for this. Seeing that play on his face and like the camera holds on him for like 10 or 15 seconds. It's really, really devastating as he realizes, what have I done? Go ahead, Grace. Yeah, it's so, so devastating. And yeah. like, uh, God, my heart stopped when, when it turned on and you see on his face, like you said. But like, and the doctor explains to him that you're not hearing we're tricking your brain into thinking you're hearing. And, uh, you know, so that's why it sounds different. And I just felt like, God, so, shouldn't someone have explained that to him? Before he dropped $40,000. Before he dropped $40,000 you know. on this surgery? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I would be so mad at the doctors. Like, why didn't you tell me in specifics what this is actually doing? <laughs> so now his implants are turned on. He makes his way to Paris and goes to Lou's house and meets her father, I think for the first time, yes. we're led to believe. And um, uh, we, we kind of see that Lou was kind of slumming it living with, with Ruben in this RV because she comes from money in Paris. And uh, yeah. so he is a guest at uh, her father's house for this like party for her father's birthday. And... Um, he is very out of place because, first of all, he can barely hear anything just because of the cacophony of sounds and the distortion from his implants. Just uh, he, he just kind of ends up standing by himself and not talking to anybody. Uh, Riz, uh, Grace, I just I just wanted to shout out. I forget the name of the actor, and hopefully one of you guys have it. But the, the father, uh, like as soon as I saw mm-hmm. him on screen, I always associate him with uh, Quantum of Solace, the the Bond ah, movie that he was yeah. in. And so as soon as I see him, I'm like, oh no, it's the villain. <laughs> like a, and he's certainly not the villain in this, but he, he, he kind of has... There's a little an bit of an antagonistic vibe. relationship. A, a little bit. Um, and, and we can talk about that in a minute. But basically, so he's, he's out of place at this party, and uh, he, he sees that Lou has kind of had a change herself you know he's been gone at this community and he's changed since they've been apart and she's clearly changed too her hair is different she's dressing different her relationship with her father is clearly different than it had been uh mm-hmm. again as you alluded earlier Hugo, it's all very subtle stuff they don't speed food spoon yeah. feed you any of this but like we kind of get the sense that she's kind of had her own like movie worthy journey. journey while we haven't yeah. been watching her mm-hmm. and so then she and ruben you could, you could make a whole separate movie that's about could. her yes. while he's off in the community and it would be as interesting and I, I mentioned there's a codependence between the two that we probably didn't see in the opening scenes because they seem so good together. But like now at the end, we see that they really did have a codependent thing. You know, like I said earlier, like they don't hang too much of a lantern on it, but they give you just enough to connect the idea that his sobriety is tied to his relationship with her. And we learn that her mother left her father and then eventually I think took her own life. Right. Yes. Yes. And so like, I think she, uh, that probably is, again, it's subtle. They don't speed, spoon feed you, but I think you can assume that that probably led to her self-harming. And she was probably leaning on Ruben as much as he was leaning on her because of the pain she was going through. And there's a codependency there. And now, now that she's kind of reconciled with her father and is back comfortable in Paris, she kind of doesn't need him as much anymore. And yeah. even though he thinks he still needs her because she was his whole life, 
he kind of realizes that, that their time together is over, and that's one of the one of the last scenes is them like kind of realizing that simultaneously as they like get in bed together and begin to kiss, and just it just isn't right, something's off, and it's again a very sad, bittersweet, but ultimately I think correct breakup. Grace, go ahead. Yeah, I was just it was something we didn't mention earlier when when she is leaving him at the community, like you can tell from the way that they're talking that he kind of feel he's worried that she'll leave and she won't need him anymore. Uh, like at least that's the vibe I got from it. I, it wasn't explicitly stated, but that's that was, I kind of got that feeling. And then when you see that, like, he was, that's what happened. That she didn't really need him anymore. Uh, it, it made it very sad. But then you also have learned that really Ruben doesn't need her anymore either. Uh, and so there's all I I, I kind of feel it's very very sad that the relationship has ended because the relationship seemed so positive, but it is also a little cathartic to like. No, they're gonna be. They're gonna be able to. They are gonna survive. be okay. They're gonna be okay. Yes, they are gonna be okay. So I have in the online here. Why do we think Lou and Ruben broke up? I think that's what we just said. It's like they had a codependent relationship. They're both going through some things, and. I mean, Ruben clearly Lou has worked. It seems to have worked through the stuff that she needed to work through and was leaning on Ruben for, and. We can talk about the final endpoint, but I think Ruben has also worked through a lot of the stuff he needed to work through, such that he was codependent on on Lou. But I, I want to save the ending. Um, I, I have in the outline why why do we, what do we think about Ruben's decision to get implants? And I want to ask you Just, guys about that. But Hugo, do you, have, do you have a point first? Yeah, I have a point on on the way that the breakup is kind of a, a natural endpoint for both of their journeys. I think what's interesting about the film is that it. it the premise is kind of that is a it is a premise that starts for both of them sort of a journey of self-discovery and self-acceptance of the the issues that they had going on before this happens and it's kind of a traumatic event that sets them off into really working through what they had kind of hidden behind their codependent relationship and at the end they both grow from it even though it's very sad and very tragic it it is to some extent and very subtly also quite life-affirming uh although it you know again prepare to be sad if you watch this movie uh but still i think just that the fact that they use the premise as kind of a hook but that's not really the point of the film the point of the film is self-discovery and self-acceptance friends we made along the way um so yeah fantastic uh, what do we think about his decision to get cochlear implants? So, I understand that 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 was something that was in his mind from the moment he had heard about it. Yes, uh, because he wanted to get back to Lou. I mm-hmm. obviously I I I feel really conflicted about it because if he had been allowed to talk to Lou while he was in the community, then he might have learned before getting the implants he might have learned that their relationship was more or less over earlier. Uh, and in which case he wouldn't have gotten the implants and he would have still been able to be a part of that community there. Uh, and so I feel really bad about it, but so like, it's hard for me to, at the moment that he's getting the, the implants, I, I kind of, I agree with what he's doing because he wants to get back to Lou. But then with hindsight, knowing that they don't work the way he was, you know, he, he was thinking they would. And knowing that Lou has, you know, grown past the things that she needed him for. I, 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 I feel like, no, I, you shouldn't have done that. 
Which I think is exactly what we're supposed to think about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting that, like, I think that, I mean, the three of us here are all, are all hearing individuals. So I think mm-hmm. that, like, we are primed to want him to get his hearing back because I think that's how we would feel if we were in his shoes. And, you know, but the thing is, is once he gets to a point where Joe is offering him that permanent job, like, he's he's doing great. He's thriving. Yeah. It, you know, he's learned ASL and he's he's built these relationships and, like... There's a life before him there. Right, exactly. Like, he, he could be happy there, you know? And he panics at the idea of being happy there and says, I want my old life back instead. But, you know, you can't have your old life back. You know, you can't have the, your relationship with Lou back. And you, you can't have your hearing back, I'm sorry to say. So, like, I think the movie does a really good job of, like, again, when he first broaches the idea of cochlear implants, I, I, me as a hearing person, I'm like, yeah, absolutely, get his hearing back. But, like, I think it's ultimately the incorrect decision at least the the movie argues it's the incorrect decision particularly given the end point of the movie which we haven't yeah. talked about yet but i would like to talk about if we're go ahead and, go. and i think this is where the 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 fact that music is kind of a premise as well in yeah. the in the film very is mm-hmm. very very effective because yeah yes the hearing we do experience the hearing not being fantastic once he got the implants but i think the moment that really nails it for me at least is when he hears us singing and the the camera slowly zooms in on his face and the sound goes from her singing, which is really quite good, to how he hears it, which is yeah. muffled and Excellent. robotic and, and Excellent. Yeah. you can't really hear it well. And I think that that is the moment that absolutely nails down. You really cannot get back to <laughs> what, what a it crushing was moment. completely. <laughs> it, yeah, it was absolutely soul crushing. But it, I think it it really sells you on this idea that look you've lost it you're not going to get it back in the same way that you think you are and maybe the life that you were building in that community is what you you need right now and it, it and it's a better choice for you as well as for Lou yeah and there's plenty of metaphors that we, we've kind of been touching <laughs> on it that like you you want your hearing back you want your life back you want Lou back and those yeah. things aren't coming back. Yeah, uh, Hugo, mm-hmm. you mentioned that like making him a musician was a good choice. I hadn't thought about this just now. Making him a drummer in particular is a very, very good choice because of like the vibrations, and you can kind of yeah. like you know the fact that he has a scene with a, a a deaf child from the community, and like he like drums on the on the slide while the kid has his head pressed in the slide to like feel the vibrations of his drumming, and like that is like of all the instruments he could have played. I feel like drumming is the the best uh, the best choice, the most po- poetic choice for some to lose. It's hearing. the best because because he can play it like he he himself like the drums you don't need to hear the melody to have the rhythm so you playing the drums by yourself you can just play them but the problem is you'll never be able to play with somebody else no see that's that's, and you're having to keep up with the music that's something i was thinking about uh for a lot of bands the the drum sets the tempo sets the rhythm all that and everybody else has to match the drummer so he really, like, theoretically doesn't need to be able to hear anyone else as long as they can stay on his beat. That's what he tells Lou, also, when yeah. he's yeah. like, no big deal, we can keep playing, let's keep going with the tour. And she's like, no, let's get you to some help, but yeah, go ahead. But, uh, you know, my father is a musician, and I will tell you that it it seems like it would be that way, but when you actually start playing, if the whole band isn't in sync at all times and hearing each other and adjusting while they're playing... It, it it is not going to work because somebody is going to mess up and once you've lost the drummer for one second 
the rest of the music is not going to work. I mean, I did marching band in, in high school. Yeah. I know all about, you know, the yeah, drummer oh, setting the tempo and the drum major matching the, the movements of mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the drummer and all that, you know. Yeah. I, I'm with you. It's hard. I, I don't, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's quite it could, impossible. Yeah. <laughs> it's not impossible. It's theoretically possible, but imagine on a, in a live setting how hard let's, that would be. Let's move on from the mechanics of yeah. how someone could drum as a deaf person. <laughs> yeah. we, need, we need to wrap up and talk about this ending. Um, yeah. So uh, around the midpoint-ish, or maybe a little before the midpoint, Joe tells Ruben, while he's still living at the facility, he, he gives him a task, which is, you know, you get up early. What I'd like you to do is get up at five every morning, all of coffee. I want you to sit in this room, there's nothing in the room besides a table, chair, a pen, and a notepad. Coffee and a donut. I w- coffee and a donut. And I want you to just sit in silence and be alone with yourself, basically, and alone with your thoughts. And if you cannot sit in silence, then I want you to write. And that's the only things you're going to be doing every morning. And he's basically teaching Ruben to be okay with himself, to, again, be okay with his thoughts. And I think there's probably a uh, 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 addict sobriety thing in there like you know people who use drugs are probably trying to get away from that stillness away from that being alone with their thoughts kind of thing that's why they you know choose to get high but um and also like Ruben does not take well to this task he does not sit still he does not sit quietly and when you see him writing he writes angrily and quickly mm-hmm. and fast and like sporadically so clearly he you know if if he has to either sit still or write, he's gonna write with a purpose and write, you know, loudly if, if mm-hmm. such a thing exists. And at the end of the movie, um, after he you know does not fit in at this party at all, partially because of language barrier, partially because of a socioeconomic barrier, and partially because he can't hear anybody. Um, and after he and Lou uh, go their separate ways, he basically just walks the streets of Paris, and there's just this cacophony of sounds around him, children playing buses ambulances church bells and like it's just it's overwhelming he sits down on a park bench looks around you know just under a under a wall of sound just this it's overbearing sound and then he just turns his implants off and looks around him and looks at the children playing can't hear a thing looks at the church bells can't hear a thing and looks up and sees the sun peering through the trees and can't hear a thing and then it ends the movie ends on ruben's face as he is sitting with the stillness that has been eluding him the entire movie, that Joe has been wanting for him the entire movie, and now that he's finally alone with his thoughts, no longer with Lou, not with his hearing either, he can sit and enjoy the stillness. And I think that is a beautiful, beautiful, if not bittersweet ending. What do you guys think? I, I felt like it was almost a, a... It left me feeling a little up up at the end of the movie because, like, like I think it could be read as, you know, as truly... Like, if you if, if you haven't fully grasped the progress that he's made as a character, you might get to that ending and think, Oh, this is so sad. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's deaf. The hearing, he's not, he didn't get anything he wanted back. What a tragic ending. But to me, I think it's the, that it's like you're, you're kind of describing. It's a moment where he's realizing uh, that he can be happy this way. He can, or at least, you know, he, he's going to, I'm left feeling that he's moving in that direction, that he's going to be okay. He's going to be happy with, you know, in the future, uh, and, and learn and ha- will have learned not only to be deaf, but also learned how to be his best self. Yeah. And, and be, be alone with his thoughts and, and mm-hmm. be still. Um, I want to mention that, uh, the devastating scene we've talked about where, where Joe asks Ruben to leave because he got the implants. He talks to him about his assignment. Those moments where he says, you know, I want you to sit in this room alone with your thoughts. Joe says, you know, you haven't been sitting still, have you? I can tell. Mm-hmm. And he, he tells him, 
Um, Joe says the stillness is the kingdom of God. That's what Joe calls the stillness. The stillness is the kingdom of God, and that place will never abandon you. That's the direct quote from Joe. And so there is like some some spirituality in Reuben sitting there on the bench by himself. And like I said, he looks up and he sees the tr- the sun shining through the trees in this very glorious shot. And it is very spiritual. And mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know, the kingdom of God is shining through that tree as as Reuben sits on the bench in the, in the stillness. And it's a payoff to that earlier line. And like I said. It, it's sad, but I, I'm with you, Grizz, and I think it's uh, it's hopeful that he's going to be okay. Yeah. What do you think, Hugo? I think it's it's maybe neither sad nor happy, but it, it's certainly serene. And as I think I've said this before, but to me, the film is about self acceptance, and I think the uh, this idea of sitting with your own thoughts in the stillness and with no sound is a great metaphor for self acceptance, and I think it's what he ultimately achieves in the film. Uh, throughout all, going through this this tragic story and yeah i thought it was a poetic really poetic ending and perfectly fitting on what the film was doing up until then and again even here riz ahmed's performance is just just beautiful anything so, else yes. metal. yeah i don't know if we have any thoughts but yeah fantastic film i hope he wins best picture love best it. actor just because i i would love it for him um yeah, I also really like the guy just on a personal level. Um, yeah, me too. Okay, let's, let's rank, rank the film. <laughs> Here we go. Shall we read 10 to 1? We have Moreni's Black Bottom, 127 Hours, It's a Wonderful Life, Unsundee, The Wind Rises, The Departed, Your Name, <laughs> The Thing, Boogie Nights, and Citizen Kane. Um, I think I'll I'll start the bidding at number 8. Above It's a Wonderful Life, below Unsundee. Um, and I can see an argument for above on Sandy as well. Yeah, honestly, I think I would put it above on Sandy. I'd put it uh, right there at the at the uh, seventh spot. I think. I mean, I haven't seen the wind rises, so I'd put it at the sixth spot, right below the departed. So. So then that means so that above on reaches, reaches the seventh spot. So there we go. And, so uh, there you go. Josh, it's go back and watch the wind rises. Come on, buddy. Seven. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little busy right now, Grizz. So fair enough. I'll get to it. At some point. <laughs> and why are you so busy, Josh? Because I am making <laughs> uh, YouTube reviews of the Best Picture nominees, which you can watch on my channel, Movies I Love, and so can you. I'm going to regurgitate a lot of what we said just now <laughs> about the sign of metal, but yeah, please but watch. There's those. other movies too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are other movies. Yeah, so okay. be sure if you if you haven't already, you know, follow movies I love and so can you on YouTube, uh, and that way you'll be notified whenever Josh posts another video. Click that bell for him, uh, and you know what? Feel free to do that on our YouTube as well for, for remember the film. Subscribe, follow, all that good At stuff. RTF pot underscore pod on Twitter. Yeah, Hugo, what do you next week? Uh, next week we'll be talking about the film Network. Uh, 1976 film by Sidney Lumet. And the premise of the, the the idea is it will be the film to remember, the, but the premise of the podcast will be how this classic film is relevant today. Yeah, right? So what, uh, 45 years old? And it is 45 years an old, yes, incredibly yes. prescient movie in terms of the current state of the media, media. world and the entertainment world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So there Yikes. you go. That'll be the film to remember for next week. Thank you for cool. listening. And like, subscribe, rate five stars, like, follow us on Twitter. Like five stars and all that. Uh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. Watch the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>